ghost tours, true crime tours, and history tours. GrimPhilly.com. And for being a friend and supporting this podcast on Patreon, there is a special place in Grim Philly heaven just for you. Patreon.com backslash Grim Philly. Welcome to episode eight in our 10 part audio documentary series of the serial killer Israel Keys, who killed across the United States, Canada, possibly Latin America too. If you are just joining us on this true crime Philadelphia journey, you'll want to begin with episode one in this series. This episode eight of 10 will be also the last publicly made available episode on this platform. Our final two episodes, nine and 10, with reflective analysis from two criminal profilers, PhDs in psychology, are exclusive material available only to our Patreon subscribers, which you could be ever so kind and helpful. We do not, however, want a little $5 getting in the way of anyone listening to anything of ours, which is really all it costs ordinarily to listen to every single thing in our Patreon anyway. But so if for any reason you really just can't afford the $5, if you've got a financial hardship or for whatever reason, just email us, let us know, and we'll see that you get access and can listen. If you are listening in order, thank you for continuing on this true crime journey with us which will continue this fall as we bring you to the Jack the Ripper Museum in actual person in London and additional episodes for further reflective analysis on two possible local serial killer Israel Keys victims abducted here in Philadelphia and a very special season finale where we will bring in for you three profilers, PhDs in psychology with a detective, criminal justice professor, and other history PhDs to dive headfirst into another true crime Philadelphia cold case, the most comprehensive investigation and analysis that has been ever done on the never caught Philadelphia serial killer, the Frankfurt Slasher. We are, as always, for Grim Philly Podcast, myself, Joe Woji, professor of world history, with historians Brittany Smith and Ted Sisko, and joined today by special guest, psychology PhD and criminal profiler, Dr. Kim. <laughs> and you're listening to grim dark histories true crime for mature audiences you're listening to grim December 10th, 2013, in Deer Park, Washington. They had a funeral for him, and we'll get to a suicide poem. I keep calling it a poem because that's what it was. Mama Keys went with four daughters and their husbands, and Jack Gardner, 
the cult guy presided over the whole thing and said he's in hell and he's not any place good because Israel didn't even like him and he didn't. You know, they had an adversarial relationship already from the couple of times that they had met. But that was the funeral that they had had. Only those couple of people went and they spelled his name wrong on his tombstone. They transposed the E and the A, like I said in one of the last episodes that we did. So do we want to read his suicide? All you, Joe. I think you deserve to read that one. Uh, <laughs> Celebrity historian. No, as a matter of fact, we should all read it. You want to read sections of it? I, like a dreamy thing behind that. it. That. I could, I, I could like mix us all together. That's a good point. Okay. You want to put a rage song. Only if you put like a dreamy like like a harp thing behind it. I promise to do that. Do it. I have to. All right. You know that could work. It, it's going to be phenomenal if you do it that way. It's like his funeral. Like how fucked up is it? This guy dies and the, the preacher's no, have like, the fuck organ him. How the organ playing? The death oh, mark. Good, the dream like sequence. Because the, the first line. Dream sequence. Where will you go? You death. clever little worm. Music. <laughs> you should read it first. Kim. Dr. Kim All is right. going to psychoanalyze this letter as well. But you're going to read gonna it I'm going to psychoanalyze. Yeah, I'm going to read it. Wait, am I reading so the whole thing? It. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, already, you're, already start, you're already vested. That's why I was late. We got an hour. We need yeah. to start this. Right, Dr. Kim is, Dr. Kim is sitting back taking all this in. She just literally sat back in her seat. What? Good looking out there, And I'm going to be honest. I just read this when we sat down today. So, because I hadn't read the whole thing. All right. Where will you go, you clever little worm, if you bleed your host dry? Back in your ride, the night is still young. Streetlights push back the black, I neat rose. Off to the right, a graveyard appears. Lines of stones, bodies molder below. Turn away quick. Bob your head to the seat as straight through that stop sign you roll. Loaded truck with lights off slams into you broadside. Your flesh smashed as metal explodes. You may have been free. You loved living your lie. Fate had its own scheme. Crushed like a bug, you still die. Soon, now you'll join those ranks of dead or your ashes the wind will soon blow family and friends will shed a few tears pretend it's off to heaven you go but the reality is you were just bones and meat and with your brain died also your soul send the dying to wait for their death in the comfort of retirement homes quietly quickly say it's for the best it's best for you so their fate you'll not know turn a blind eye back to the screen Soak in your reality shows. Stand in front of your mirror and you preen in a plastic castle you call home. Land of the free, land of the lie, land of scheme Americanized. Consume what you don't need, stars you idolize, pursue what you admit is a dream, then it's American die. Get in your big car so you can get to work fast on roads made of dinosaur bones. Punch in on the clock and sit on your ass playing stupid ass games on your phone. Paper on your wall says you got smarts. The test you took told you so, but you would still crawl like the vermin you are once your precious power grids blow. Land of the free, land of the lie, land of the scheme, American eyes. That shit is all so rage against the machine. <laughs> Go ahead. Continue. Now that I have you held tight, I will tell you a story. Speak soft in your ear so you know that it's true. You're my love at first sight, and though you're scared to be near me, my words penetrate your thoughts now in an intimate prelude. I looked in your eyes. They were so dark, warm, and trusting, as though you had not a worry or care. The more guileless the game, the better. Potential to fill up those pools with your fear. Your face framed in dark curls like a portrait. The sun shone through headlights of red. What color, I wonder? And how straight will it turn, plastered back with the sweat of your blood? Your wet lips were a promise of a secret unspoken. Nervous laugh as it bursts like a pulse of blood from your throat. There will be no more laughter here. I feel your body tense up, my hand now on your shoulder. Your eyes. Forget the lady called luck. She does not abide near me, for her powers don't extend to those who are dead. With that, I could keep you, let you be the master of your own fate, knowing full well what's at stake. My pretty captive butterfly, colorful wings, my hand smears. 
I somehow repaint them with punishment and tears. Violent metamorphosis, emerge my dark moth princess. I would come often and worship on the altar of your flesh. You shudder with revulsion and try to shrink far from me. I'll have you tied down and begging to become my Stockholm sweetie. Okay, talk is over. Words are placid and weak. Back it with action or it all comes off cheap. Watch close while I work now. Feel the electric shock of my touch. Open my trembling flower or your petals I'll crush. Some death metal band is going to make that a song. <laughs> he's taking some Dean Kunz shit. He's talking about the car accidents, rape, the murder. It's just his mind. He's just pouring his brain out everything he thinks. And then there's metal. He's so fucking metal. All right. Ready? Go. Go for All it. right. So he's talking about a parasite that is feeding off of him. That's at least what I get from the beginning, right? There's some sort of demon or gremlin, and it's this thing inside of him that is going to literally bleed him dry, which is fascinating because that's essentially how he commits suicide is by bleeding out. The fantasy of car crashes is very evident. So I would say there's some evidence here that at least he thought about it. Whether or not he did it remains to be seen, but there's enough people saying that he was torturing them and trying to feed off that fear, which is interesting because the parasite that he has inside of him feeds off the fear of others, right? So I think there's something to the car, the idea of a car crash or the idea of tailgating someone in a car and kind of making them afraid that kind of gives him energy, gives him life. There's evidence also of his acknowledgement of the duality of his lifestyle and how appealing that is, but also how consuming that is. And that's something that even Bundy would talk about. So all these serial killers will kind of say that it was hard to keep up with. And he is admitting to that. He also talks about how insignificant he is. So he's talking about how he's, so he says, but the reality reality is you were just bones and meat and with your brain died also your soul. So he's talking about how once we're dead, nobody gives a rat's ass about us, which is sometimes somewhat true, you know, and I think depends on, I guess, how you see the afterlife and all of that. But he's saying that we all kind of become insignificant once we die. So this is not a person who believes in any sort of spiritual afterlife. Or if any, actually, he contradicts himself because he says, pretend it's off to heaven, you go. So I don't know if he believes that he's going to hell, if he doesn't believe in any of it. So, and that could be just him rejecting religion as well. But he also believes that we're all kind of insignificant. So he doesn't really value any life. He talks about the American dream being a lie and he makes fun of our culture several times. You know how we can have these papers on the wall. We can have someone tell us we're smart, but like in in all honesty, none of it fucking matters. And there is no such thing as the American dream and that no one is special, no matter what they do in this life. Now we get to a point where he says, now that I have you, or now that I have held you tight, that part of the suicide note or poem, I am wondering if he's talking about his mother, but if he's also talking about the parasite within. So I go on, I'm thinking about both. And I'm thinking that maybe the parasite is kind of his mother in his head. Now, this is very reminiscent of like the Bates Motel stuff where Norman is kind of thinking his mom is around, his mom is part of his psyche. His mom is kind of dictating all of that. And you see this on one of the seasons of Dexter. It's Tom Hanks's kid is the actor and I can't remember, but it's like he has this visualization of this other person kind of telling him what to do. So that represents the duality. So he could be responding to both, but he makes this parasite a woman. At least that's my interpretation of it. It could be a man, could always be a man. It could be something, I guess, maybe without some sort of gender identity. But the way that he's talking about this thing makes me think, I get feminine vibes. You're face framed in dark curls. Your eyes are so warm and trusting. I held you tight, this and that. And then he says, you know, my words penetrate your thoughts. Now, again, he could be penetrating a man, but it just seems like it's more of a, 
uh, this woman thing. So he could also be trying to recreate some sort of symbiotic relationship with his mother. He could be talking about wanting to have sex with his mother, kind of overtake his mother. He knows that even if he is to overtake her, even if he is to do that, he's not going to be able to get what he wants because he has this beautiful butterfly, but he's going to smear the butterfly. He's going to kill the butterfly. So no matter what he does, he's never going to be able to get his mother's love. He's never going to have that unconditional approval from her. And he's understanding that in his suicide note, which when we go back to what I had chatted about in episode one with the courier murders and how it was kind of him executing his parents. And then he took Samantha Koenig and that was him trying to like resolve this issue that he has with mommy doesn't love me. He could never get the resolution. And the FBI did not love him unconditionally. The FBI was essentially using him. They wanted him to give us this information so they could solve these crimes. But he knew that it was never going to be real. And I think there could have been a part of him that wondered if maybe he could kind of trick the situation into that by, you know, getting the Snickers bar and the cigars and all that. But at the end of the day, they were never going to protect him. They were never going to keep anything a secret. They were not going to hold their end of the deal. Like whatever happened and that information leaked out, I think he realized that. He also talks about the fact that he is dead and he's always been dead. This is about the parasite as well. So perhaps the parasite kind of took over and he's always been dead and the parasite's kind of just been keeping him alive. He's always been dead. There's something about the parasite that also keeps him alive. So there's something about the parasite that keeps him moving. So this could be that he knew how much of a social outcast he was going to be once he killed that cat. And he understood that nobody was going to get him. Nobody was going to be on that level and no one was going to understand him. And unlike the serial killers who somehow managed to find each other, right? We see this with like the Hillside Stranglers. I don't know how those two found each other, but they did. He knew he was going to be alone forever. And he knew it was all going to be a facade. And he understands somehow that there is a part of him that doesn't work right. So he knows there's something wrong with him. He talks a lot about people, this parasite or maybe his mother, there's a revulsion, right? You shrink away from me. You know, that he's going to somehow put them in a position where they're going to have to beg for their life. They're going to try to like him to get to save their own. But at the end of the day, again, he says, words are placid and weak. Back it with action or it all comes off cheap. So he's basically saying to all of his victims, if you ever tried to get away by saying you were going to be nice to me, fuck off. I know you were lying. And he's probably speaking to that very first rape victim where he let her go because she made a promise to him. But he knows that she was lying because she was so repulsed by him. She had to get away. So he's saying that after that point, you have to back it with action. That's the way to stay in control. That's the way to win. So at the end of the day, with this suicide note, I think he realized that he had lost, that mom had won, and that no matter what he was going to do, his mother was always going to be the one with the power because he was, and now here's what I don't know. Did his mom actually reject him? Because he keeps going back to her home. He keeps going back to where she lives. He keeps this relationship with her, but not with his father, right? They end things. He's an atheist. Dad doesn't want anything to do with him. But mommy keeps coming back to, but it never works. Does she never really love him unconditionally? I don't know. I don't know enough about their relationship, but he's basically saying in this, I tried so hard. I loved you so much, but I knew I was doing all these bad things and I couldn't keep that love alive. That shit was perfect. Woo. <laughs> Beyond the scope of we humble historians, Israel Keys psychoanalyzed. He's also saying in this that he knows that he is incapable of true love. He's incapable of really feeling that for anybody. He talks about the more guileless the game, the better potential to fill up those pools with your fear. So the more that someone can trust him, the more warm they can be with him, the more he's going to try to make them afraid. And the more he thinks about hurting them and sabotaging the love. So again, I am also thinking that even if he were to get that 
love from his mother, he would have found a way to murder it off anyway. So he's basically saying he understands that he is incapable of a true, empathic, loving relationship with anyone. And that he would just continue to think about how to scare them, how to murder them, how to hurt them somehow. And that he's always somehow been dead inside. And even if she did show him that love and affection, again, would that I could keep you, let you be the master of your own fate, knowing full well what's at stake. He's saying, I couldn't even let you, even if you knew how bad I was and you let me in, I couldn't, I I don't know if I could do that because I'd be the one killing you and I would know what was at stake in this relationship and you wouldn't. Final words from prisoner number 605740. Do we have the date that he killed himself? I thought you just said it was December 10th of 2013. I said no, it. Wait, said it. December. No, wait, wait, wait. wait. December 4th? No. December 10, 2012 was when his mother had the funeral service yeah. for him. Oh. He died on December 2nd, Second, 2012 right. at age 34. Yeah. Okay. Good fucking riddance. Thank God Brittany's here with the dates, <laughs> man. We'd be all fucked up. <laughs> the one thing I missed was the kill kits. He was able to find them by means of markers. They were usually near boat ramps or telephone oh. poles. Interesting. That's how he was track of them. Yeah, because how would you keep track of some shit right. that you can't write down? Right. And he had a whole bunch of them. We know we figure at least a dozen of them. He kept track of them by means of the ones that we at least know where they were. They were adjacent to telephone poles further away. They weren't like right next to it, but further away and adjacent to a telephone pole. That's how we think that he remembered because you can cut a tree down and you can do other things to the landscape, but usually you're going to keep the telephone pole where it is, even if you have to replace it. Right. So any final words from anybody else? Anything we missed about Israel Keys? A very, very comprehensive topic and a very deep dive into this guy. Israel Keys, the most fascinating serial killer you have never heard about. Right? A lot of us have not. He's not famous like Bundy. He's not famous like Dahmer. And, and he still hasn't really gotten that famous. He's still not as famous. And to just you give know? a shout out, just to credit, like where we got our information, there are 5,000 digitized, publicly made available files by the FBI. A lot of that is like just warrants and some inconclusive stuff, some overlap, lab reports, everything, every single interrogation. There's about 30 hours of interrogation by the FBI that have been put on video. There is 5,000 digitized FBI files of which you've got search warrants, lab reports, stuff from the marshals, from the local police, from SWAT, from FBI. Some of it overlaps. Some of it doesn't. Some of it's new. A lot of it is redacted. It's it's very heavily redacted, but there's 5,000 publicly made available digitized files from the FBI on FBI.gov backslash Israel Keys. Also, additionally, like to go further than that, Josh Hallmark's podcast on this, I highly recommend if you, I mean, we've deep dove this insanely but if you wanted to go even further josh hallmark's true crime bullshit which is an homage to israel saying like oh i don't want this getting out because people are into all this true crime bullshit but he's gone and like visited personally all of these sites and i mean if you wanted to listen to guy you know like a hundred hours he's like you can get really deep into it you know i'd highly recommend josh hallmark's true crime bullshit podcast we've used a little bit of his information that goes further than the fbi files do and just to kind of mention too i've perused every youtube video documentary and podcast on this subject and a lot of them they scratch the surface they may say we're using the fbi stuff but not <laughs> so, some of them they'll like they'll speculate like they may have breezed through like a little bit of it but thank you guys for listening this deep dive multi-episode 
complex look at a psychopathic killer who has boggled the minds of investigators, who is atypical for a serial killer, does not have a victimology in a lot of ways. I mean, you can see patterns emerging, but he just defies anything traditionally that is understood about serial killers. And one of the things too, is that he's given so little information that then there's all the more speculation on like, how did he do what he did? How did he get away with it as long as he did? But like other killers, he is similar insofar as like he starts to unravel and he starts to get obsessed with what he does it makes him make mistakes and that's what gets him caught and a lot of serial killers are like that so joe og for the grim podcast joe og britney smith ted cisco and kim dr kim dr kim <laughs> stay tuned for more grim we out oh. oh you didn't do your keep it grim keep it beautiful Woo! keep it beautiful my friends and keep it grim there you go If you've been digging on this Israel Keys documentary and haven't quite got your fill, we've got something for you. A final two episodes with two criminal profilers, Dr. Kim and Dr. Anya Schultz. A little bonus banter, some final words from Israel Keys himself, some final, final thoughts and much diagnosis and, and final analysis from psychology PhDs, just jump over to the Grim Philly Patreon, patreon.com backslash Grim Philly, or just link to the Grim Philly Patreon from grimphilly.com or grimphilly.com backslash podcast. It would be so incredibly kind and helpful of you to support us there. We put a lot of work into this, but we wouldn't want financial concerns to keep anyone from listening, though. And you can sign up for our very lowest level support and listen to every single episode that we've ever done there, which would include our final two episodes of the serial killer Israel Keys with back and bonus episodes and feel really really good about yourself that you've put really good vibes into the world out into the universe and tipped us essentially like tipping your waiter or your last uber and if any amount at all would just be too much of a hardship we'd never want anybody not to listen just email let us know you're going through a financial tough time. We will share a link. It's just five bucks and we're not going to sweat it. We really just want the right people to listen. And you are the right person. If you've made it through to episode eight, I'm not going to let five bucks get between us. Just email. It's that easy patreon.com backslash grim philly you've talked before about you read a lot and that's where you've gotten you've read about a lot of other serial killers and reading about other you know, crimes and that kind of stuff might be a weird question but who's your favorite We've talked about it, so we're kind of curious, and we're curious on who you're gonna, who your favorite is. 
one of my favorite ones haven't been caught yet, so I guess I don't okay. even know their names. <laughs> of the, of the ones, that's a fair that's question. Actually, that's actually a good response. Okay, of the ones who have been caught that you've been able to read about, we'll see who who was right or who was closest for us. I don't know. I, I favorite. I don't really feel like. Uh, I didn't. I don't. If what I've read about them is accurate, I don't feel that close to any of them. So I guess I identify most, or my favorite, if you have to put it that way, would be the ones that I identify most with. Yeah. So that's a fair way to say it. I don't know. Maybe just going off of what I've read, um, Ted Bundy, maybe. Because I don't, I don't have a lot of respect for some of them because uh, because of the way they lived. I guess sure. I don't know. It's weird. Did you I like reading about all of them? But yeah, that's what I identify did you, about. When did you start reading about them? When did you realize? I mean, did you start reading about them because you were curi curious about you, or did you? Was it a study guide, so to speak? I mean, that might be a weird question, too. Did you learn things from to do, not do? Or was it just curiosity of do you have anything in common with them is that you were looking for, do you think? Well, the first book I read was, uh, I think it was called Mindhunter, and it was written by an FBI profiler. John Douglas, right? Yeah. Okay. I read that years and years ago, probably when I was... 15 or 16 and, uh, I was, uh, yeah, it's somewhat disturbed by it just because, uh, I don't know, it's always been that way. It's always felt like I was kind of reading about myself in a lot of those books. Not that... Not the myself that everybody knew, but, you know. Mm -hmm. What did that, I mean, did, did that uh, worry you, concern you, make you think it was... Well, at first, it was, like I say, at first I was pretty conflicted about it, but that was all just because of... the way I had been raised and stuff, you know, and... You know, I, I, I grew up with good people. I was never, you know, everybody's always nice to each other and everything's all sunshine and roses. And uh, so that's why it was disturbing to me because it seemed like for a long time I was the. I either thought everybody was, everybody else was faking it and everybody was like me, they just didn't act like it. And, or I figured that I was. demon child or whatever, I don't know. But, I mean, all that went away when I was in my 20s. I didn't feel bad about it anymore. I just... You didn't feel bad that you were the, that you had those thoughts? I knew that most people didn't think the way I did by then. I just didn't feel bad about thinking differently at that time. I just kind of accepted that that's who you were and that's... Yeah, I just...
do you know? So do, so you said Ted Bundy. You kind of felt like maybe you had some things and you know, or at least in common with or something. Do you know stuff about him? Do you do you study? I know that he had a lot of. Uh, he was very uh, sexually motivated in the stuff that he did, and I know that in the last few years he had a really hard time controlling himself and separ separating his two lives, if you want to call it that. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I also identified with him because it seemed like uh, he could, he was able to separate his two different two different uh, aspects or whatever you want to call his personality. Anything specific about his crimes? No, honestly, I am... Um, I, like I said, I never really, from what I've read anyway, I never felt that close to any of them. I just uh, saw similarities in all of them. I <laughs> honestly, I've always kind of thought of myself as more like uh, the bank robber type except for, you know, every once in a while, I'd do it. Because I can get the same adrenaline rush off of that kind of thing. Or not even bank robbery, just, you know, any kind of, I don't know. Even, like, burglary and arson to a certain extent. Um, So safe to say, probably then you've done more of those kind of crimes. Well, then, yeah. I mean, is that those is, is that a safe assumption? Those are practical crimes too. So. <laughs>
Oh.